You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm so thrilled to be back here in the studio after a couple weeks away with a, an awful, awful virus. I hope no one else out there is suffering from the same one. Uh, and I'm very excited and honored to have a wonderful guest with me this evening. She'll be with us in just a few minutes. Her name is Dr. Stacy Don Francesco, and she is a plastic and reconstructive surgeon at Holy Redeemer Hospital, which is uh, just here outside of Philadelphia. A couple quick show notes. Remember to stay with us during our breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors from Jefferson University Hospital, Tivity Health, Pathways Consulting, and Fortist Wealth, bringing you all kinds of great information around your health, finance, technology, and leadership. And please be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net, where you can check out our amazing lineup of guests and sign up for our newsletter. And be sure to follow us on social media if you're social. We have a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn site. Uh, We love hearing from our listeners. So now I'm thrilled to welcome to the show uh, Dr. Stacy Don Francesco. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Sue, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, we, we have a mutual friend. We'll give her a shout out, Dr. Beth Dupree. <laughs> we miss um, you. <laughs> yes, we miss you terribly in Philadelphia. She 
she went and moved to Arizona. How mm-hmm. dare she do that? Um, <laughs> but we're still in touch. And, and she, if if we have longtime listeners, might remember she co-hosted a couple shows with me um, back in 2012 and 13, I think. Right. Um, so, And she had wonderful things to say about you. Oh. <laughs> um, and, of course, I, I'm so incredibly impressed. Number one, just the fact that you're a surgeon alone, I think, takes so much courage Um and, of course, persistence in getting uh, to the point where you are today. And I want to, of course, talk a little bit about your background and where you came from and what helped shape the leader that you are today. So um, I understand you were born in Providence, Rhode Island. Yes. And your mom raised you and your sister as a single parent. So you were in a house full of women. Right. Um, when you think about those years, I wonder if you can talk about what you remember most about perhaps mom's advice to you and encouragement in what you were going to later pursue. Sure. So I think growing up, uh, my mom was kind of that silent type of person where she didn't necessarily say anything. She just did it. Uh, She raised my sister and I uh, from, you know, birth until she's still raising us, essentially. (laughs) They never, yeah, Uh, she never never stops raising. But uh, she, with the help of my grandparents, really, they were the big role models in my life. And it's funny when you say I grew up around a lot of females because I did. Actually, my mom is one of three girls. And so it was my grandfather and all of the women. Oh, wow. And so anytime we would go over to my grandparents' house, and that's what I remember most a lot of times after school we'd go right to my grandparents house over the summers we'd call it camp grandma because we would go there during the summer while my mom worked my mom worked for an accounting firm that she still works for today the same oh, wow, one wow so were they nearby she, your grandparents? Yeah, they were in Cranston so that's where I grew up um and she my mom worked in Providence but we spent a lot of time a lot of dinners a lot of laughter uh with my grandparents my cousin uh, and my aunts. Okay. So it was it was definitely female dominated. And my grandfather couldn't wait until there was a boy in the family. And my brother came along ten years after I was born. Oh, good. So that was his. That was his <laughs> Thank boy. God for I know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I understand you attended um, a Catholic school, or you were raised Catholic. I did. I was. Ra- I I still practice uh, Catholicism. Mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic. We. Went to church every Saturday night. My mom still goes faithfully every Saturday night. Rather than Sunday morning. Right, yeah. exactly. Okay. It was a kind of a thing. We would go Saturday night and then we'd go out to dinner together. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, it was a nice little ritual that we had. Um, but I did go to Catholic school up until about fifth grade. And then, you know, with my mom raising my sister and I, it, you know, it, it got a little bit of expense, an, an expense for her mm. uh, to keep us in Catholic school. So we did transition over to a public school. Um, when I was in sixth grade. Okay. You shared a, an, an adorable photo with us from your <laughs> younger years where you've got the surgical mask and, mm-hmm. you know, the gloves. Um, and you were very young at that point. Mm-hmm. Did you always want to be a doctor? No. Okay. No, I actually wanted to be an artist oh. for a while. Obviously, that didn't work out. I wasn't so artistic on paper. Uh, I attended, my mom actually supported that and put me in classes at uh, Rhode Island School of Design. But that kind of, uh, fell by the wayside. And then I wanted to be an astronaut, which my oh. husband laughs about because he's like, you wanted to be an astronaut and now you're a doctor. <laughs> but um, I wanted to go to space camp so badly and wow. it was expensive. So I actually didn't want to be a doctor until I was in high school. Okay. Towards the end of my high school career, I kind of found my niche and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. 
talk to me a little bit about, first of all, your dad. Tell, tell us about your father, because mom and dad were divorced, right. um, but he's still in your life. And we were talking before the show about um, a little bit of what you see in him that, you know, plays into what you're doing today. Mm -hmm. You know, you're saying you weren't creative, you couldn't be an artist, but there's something there (laughs) that ties into being a surgeon. Right. So my dad wasn't a huge part of my life growing up. um, But in the last 10 years, my sister and I have really bonded with him and reconnected. And he's a huge part of our life now. Um, And he is very artistic in the sense that he is into carpentry and construction, and that's just a hobby of his. So he has helped us with a number of things. And I think over the years, I've realized I'm a lot like my dad. I look a lot like my dad. Uh, My mom is blonde. My sister looks a lot like her. But I have all the dark features like my dad, but I also, I feel like a lot of my personality and my traits come from him. And I remember one time when we were working together, uh, it was actually on my daughter's room before she was born. He said, you know, Stacy, you have to measure twice, cut once. And that really stuck with me because I'm a surgeon now. And that's a lot of what I do. You know, I, especially as a a reconstructive surgeon, I'm measuring a lot Mm. before I actually make my incision. So I think a lot of the eye for what I have does come from a trait that he kind of passed on to me. Yeah. How about how about your drive? So, you know, for to be a doctor, to Mm -hmm. be a surgeon, there's some ambition there and there's some drive. And where does that come from and and the confidence to pursue that? In other words, is it when you were young and little, were you always thinking, you know, I want to do something great in the world? Or did that kind of develop over time? I think that kind of developed. Uh, If you ask my mom, she laughs because she never really pushed us uh, with school, with anything. And she thinks a lot of it had to do with um, my Catholic upbringing and being in Catholic school. Mm, interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. Stay with us for Dawn Zier of Nutrisystem for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Let's start today's conversation with this thought. Creativity loves constraints. I've found time and time again that people demonstrate the most creativity in an organization when they're facing incredible odds and a tight deadline that is not artificial. These two things in combination cause teams to quickly prioritize, focus on what can really move the needle, and act with an incredible sense of urgency and unity. 20 years ago, when I was at Reader's Digest, we were faced with the challenge of having to change our business model and move away from sweepstakes marketing, which had been incredibly profitable for us. If we were not able to stabilize the rate base of the magazine, it would have serious implications for the health of the company. Finding ourselves pushed up against the wall with the cost of failure so great, we developed a bunker mentality and fought for survival. We embarked on a mission to do 10 years of testing in 10 months. It was perhaps one of the most challenging yet invigorating situations I ever found myself in. And you know what? We prevailed and in doing so changed the course of the company. Fast forward to when I became the CEO of Nutrisystem. It was in desperate need of a turnaround, and that same wartime general mentality took hold, and we united the company, setting forth a plan to return to growth through product innovation and marketing. Time and resources were a real constraint as we were facing a situation where if we didn't act quickly, we might not have been able to pay out the shareholder dividend. 
So again, we focused on what could move the needle the quickest, identified the constraints around us, and acted with incredible urgency. Understanding our constraints, identifying our arrival state, and fully recognizing the cost of failure unleashed a level of creativity that the company had not seen before. Four years later, we were recognized as one of Fortune's top 100 fastest growing companies. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned crisis with real consequences to spur creativity. Creativity loves constraints. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Joe Krause of Krause's Coats inviting you to donate a slightly worn coat or jacket and help kids in need stay warm this winter. Go to Krause's Coats' Facebook page. Join Hair Cuttery helping cradles to crayons meet their need of 12,000 kids' coats. Happy holidays. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Stacy Don Francesco, who's a reconstructive um, and plastic, I'm sorry, a plastic and reconstructive <laughs> surgeon. Let me get that right. Um, and before the break, we were just talking about your schooling and upbringing, and I was trying to figure out where, you know, the drive and the ambition came from. Sounds like it was a little bit DNA, but your mom thinks it has a little bit to do with your education. In what way? Yeah, I think the discipline that I was taught in Catholic school uh, played an important role. You know, my mom always tells everyone she never had to tell us to come home and do our homework. That was the first thing we did as soon as we got home. Um, and that kind of continued throughout high school. Uh, I I also laugh with my family about the fact that I was a swimmer in high school and I would come home late from swim practice and I would study in high school until about midnight. And wow. nobody put that pressure on me. That was kind of a pressure that I put on myself. Uh, I was the type of person, if I got an A minus, it wasn't good enough. Oh, wow. So, and my mom would be thrilled with it. So okay. it never came from the outside in. It was it was mostly internal. So are, do you cut yourself some slack when things don't <laughs> go the way they should? No. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I think I'm still very hard on myself, but I, I think that it shapes who I am. And I think as a surgeon, and especially as a plastic and reconstructive surgeon, I think that being precise and being very, uh, you know, judgmental of myself is what makes my work, hopefully, something that people, you know, appreciate. Mm. I I want to kind of go ahead, jump ahead for a second. And this question just popped into my mind. Can you describe your very first surgery and what that was like for the very first time to to do that. So I can probably talk about my very first procedure that I did as an intern. Um, I remember, well, first of all, I remember in medical school, you know, shadowing, obviously, a lot of the interns and residents. That's something that you do in your third and fourth year of medical school. And when you're put in the position of actually finally graduating from medical school and being an intern, it's you. 
and you're the one July 1st uh, on the floor is taking care of patients. And I remember one of the procedures I got called to the emergency room for, I was a general surgery intern at the time, was for something very common. It's, it's an abscess or an infection. And I remember just being so scared yeah. and thinking, wow, this is, this is me. And obviously there were residents and attendings that would back me up. But really, it was the first time... I was holding a scalpel and doing the procedure myself. Right. And it's frightening. And you have to give yourself the confidence to move forward and and do the procedure. Right. And I think that's something I've always struggled with is confidence and still to this day. But you have to kind of work through it. I mean, you can't go into somebody's room or see a patient and feel like you're not confident, you know. So it's a lot of talking to yourself, talking yourself yes, into it, you exactly. know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And what so I often ask this question, do you have a mantra? What are you saying to yourself in those moments of self-doubt? I think a lot of it is that I can do it. I mean, I've had the training behind me. I trained for, you know, 8 years to do this job and I'm finally here and there's a reason why I'm here. Right. And as soon as I step in the room to see a patient, that's kind of what puts me at ease because I I love my patients and I love what I do every day. And it's really just having a conversation with them. It's making them feel, you know, that they are the most important person there and they're there for a reason and they're scared and it's putting them at ease. So I try to look at it not so much as that person is my patient, but this person is a friend that I'm trying mm-hmm. to put at ease and help them gain the confidence in me to help them. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, some people who have believed in you along the way have been men. And um, you had the opportunity to work with um, a podiatrist, mm-hmm. Dr. John Volpe. And you've said that he's really the reason why you're a physician today. Tell me about him. He is. I I don't have any medical family background. Uh, I think I had told you earlier that my mom passes out at the sight of blood. So, <laughs> And there's really no one that's a physician in my family. So I actually was asked to be a part of an advanced science program uh, during my junior or sophomore or junior year of high school. And I would obtain credit for it, but they placed me in any area of science. So it could have been in the laboratory, you know, it could have been in a chemistry lab, but I was placed in the medical field. Uh, Were you happy about that or disappointed? You know, I I wasn't really, I didn't feel either way. You know, I I wasn't sure at that time that I wanted to to pursue medicine. So I actually worked for him for three years. Mm -hmm. uh, And he, besides working and, you know, doing the cleaning the rooms and, and all of that <laughs> kind of thing. Work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He really took me under his wing and he he was such a fantastic man. And he still is. He I've, I've seen him in the last 10 years, so he kind of knows what I'm up to. But he took me into the operating room when he had surgeries. He took me into uh, the anatomy lab and kind of pointed out all the anatomy of the foot. And so oftentimes people ask me why I didn't become a podiatrist. Right. Um, But I think it was just the anatomy in general that I was so fascinated by. And also he was he was so loved by his patients. Mm -hmm. And that really had an impression on me. That probably taught you a little bit about developing those relationships Mm -hmm. with your own patients, because I know you are very, very patient centric Mm -hmm. and will follow up. You're on your own with personal phone calls to make sure uh, that these men and women, right, Mm -hmm. are doing okay. I think that's wonderful. And I want to talk a little bit more about that later in the show. 
Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie of Jefferson for your health watch and Fortis Wealth for finance. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. The holidays are here. Time to eat, drink, and be merry. Think again. Heavy alcohol intake increases the risk for many health issues, liver and heart disease, blood pressure, stroke, up to 10 different cancers, and more. The National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism estimates risk increases when men have more than 14 drinks a week and women have more than seven per week. Translated, women should have a maximum of one drink per day and men should stop at two per day. That does not mean you should drink the whole quota on one day. My young patients exercise, they don't smoke, but alcohol, they often say, I only drink one night a week, but that can mean four to five beers and a few shots. Binge drinking, defined as drinking so much in about two hours that blood alcohol level reaches the legal limit, 0.08 grams. This is about four standard drinks in a woman and five in a man. Binge drinking is associated with acute injuries like falls, car accidents, violent behavior, sexual assaults, maybe even heart disease. Coma and death can occur with rapid intake of large amounts. Is beer or wine safer than hard alcohol? No. 12 ounces of beer equals 5 ounces of wine equals 1.5 ounces of a shot. It is the amount of alcohol that affects you, not the type. Do not drink if you're under 21. If you're pregnant, it can cause birth defects. Certain prescription meds interact with alcohol, as do certain medical conditions. Driving, alcohol slows reaction time, impairs judgment and coordination. Now you add texting. Are you kidding me? Remember, all U.S. states define .08 as the legal limit for operating a vehicle if age 21 and over. Drivers under age 21 aren't allowed to have any level of alcohol in their system. Need help? Call 1-800-662-HELP for treatment programs in your local community. So enjoy your office holiday party, but don't be the guy or gal who ends up with a lampshade on your head. Cheers! If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Have you thought about your estate plan and your digital assets? In today's digital world, most of our financial transactions and communications occur online. Accounts have limited access with protected passwords, which can create problems when the account holder dies or becomes incapacitated because no one has access to the passwords. Without specific provisions in your estate plan and careful planning, access to critical information can become difficult for your family or loved ones. Federal law regulating access to digital property does not yet exist. To address the situation, the Uniform Law Commission created the revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act in 2015, which received widespread support and has already been adopted by more than 40 states. If you live in a state that is not covered by any protective laws, like Pennsylvania, those accounts are governed by the terms of the service agreement when the account was opened. Family members would need confidential ID information and passwords to access them. Consider these steps. Document an inventory of the accounts, including login IDs and passwords, and maintain it in a secure location. 
Create an online vault to keep passwords, identification or logins, and other sensitive information. Available options include Keeper, LastPass, and others. Be sure to share the vault password with your appointed representative. Then establish a detailed digital asset plan with a clear, specific statement of intent about who would gain access to what information. This statement of intent should address all accounts, past, present, and future. Lastly, carefully select your trustee, executor, or representative. When making your decision, consider the private and confidential information that will be accessible. The popularity of digital assets is a part of our lives, and it probably won't go away. For your family, heirs, and designated representatives, please take the proper estate planning precautions. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so much for being with us uh, here this evening. I am with Dr. Stacy Don Francesco. She is um, a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing to me. Um, and one of the things in, in my notes I found, you you did go off to Providence College and you minored in women's studies. Mm-hmm. I've had several guests on the show that have a little bit of that in their background. I just was curious what you learned in women's studies that might surprise us or be interesting. I think that... First of all, women, it was it was interesting because I was an English major, I think, as I shared with you and and in the pre-medical program and a women's studies minor. And I think my link to women's studies came from um, my English, my English literature background. And there were a lot. I feel like women uh, in the 1700s, 1800s, the way they expressed themselves was through literature, writing, Mm, poetry, writing. Uh, any type of literature. And right. a lot of what my women's studies classes focused on was that. So it was very intriguing to me. And I actually remember one professor, Dr. Jane Lunan Perel. She was a fantastic woman. She taught most of the women's studies classes. And she was a female poet. Uh, and she really stood out to me as a leader. And she was one of the first tenured uh Physician, uh, excuse me, professors at Providence College and just a very driven woman. And I was always very enamored by her. And she actually just recently in the last five years retired. And I sent her an email kind of telling her what I was up to, because at that time I was in I was in um, medical studies. So and where did you go to medical school? Uh, I went to the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. Okay, Mm -hmm. So right on City Line Avenue. Yes. Yes. So uh, I think the biggest thing is that women have always wanted to be heard since, you know, the early 1700s. And, and the way we kind of made our separated ourselves from men was through literature. Yeah, because and it's gosh, we've come a long way, right? Mm-hmm. Here we are on a radio show. But I think women were putting their thoughts down on paper because right. they didn't feel they had a place to exactly right have a voice and speak mm-hmm. up. And boy, we're we're changing that mm-hmm. paradigm today. Um this is an important part of your story, I think. After your first go around with the MCATs, um, you didn't do too well, mm-hmm. right? And so you took a little time off. Mm-hmm. So my first question is, did you say, gosh, maybe I'm not cut out for this? Or did you just know, I'm just going to take a little time and come back to it? 
Uh, failure was never an option. So, uh, I mean, I can say <laughs> that right surprised. off the bat. <laughs> but uh, I, I knew that I just had to retake them, and I needed a little time. I was never a good uh, standardized text, test taker. That just wasn't who I was. Um, and I still, to this day, struggle. I'm somebody that has to study really hard to do, you know, to get where I to get where I am. I had to really study hard, mm-hmm. and I think that um, I just figured I'll take some time off. I'll get a job. I will study again, and I'll get there. And I did have some people along the way that were discouraging, saying, you know, if this is your MCAT score, you'll never be a physician. And it's amazing to me that looking back now, you know, that was very, I was a very impressionable person at that point, you know, in my life. I I only wanted one thing and it was to go to medical school. So to say that is very, it it was very hurtful. It's still amazing to me that anyone would ever say to any person, you Mm -hmm. know, you'll never be able to do it. Right. I know. And that drove me more really to to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Do you, do you have, well, let me ask you this. What is the most difficult part of your job, your day to day? So I think there's a couple of things. One is, you know, not my job itself. Obviously, I'm still, you know, I'm board eligible. So I'll be taking my second part of my boards coming up. And uh, I think, again, the confidence, you know, I'm only a year out in practice right now, but I'm getting busier every day and just, you know, building that confidence, knowing that I can do it. Um, that's one thing I still struggle with. Um, but the other thing is, you know, my like life work balance. Uh, I have a two year old daughter at home Mm -hmm. and my husband is very, very supportive and he does a lot with my daughter, but I want to be there too. You know, I'm, I'm the mom and I, I want to be very present in her life. So Trying to find that balance can be difficult sometimes. Um, And even when I get home, turning that off, turning that work life off is difficult for me because I think about my patients again, like I think about my friends and family. So my mind's always kind of going and trying to separate the two sometimes is difficult for me. Yeah. I appreciate your sharing that, you know, that that you still at this place in your career, that confidence is an issue. And I think it's it's human nature, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And when you think about your daughter, and I know you're so, you know, thrilled to be setting such a great example for her. Mm-hmm. She's only two, so I'm sure, you know, you're not having big, deep right. conversations <laughs> yet with her. But what is it that you think that you want to share with her when she's old enough that will help build her own self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I just want her to know that she can do whatever she wants. You know, she doesn't have to be a surgeon or a physician, but just really being there to support her and kind of the way my dad, my mom did with me. You know, she was a silent supporter. And I think that just knowing that I have her back with whatever she wants to do is something that I want her to know and want her to know that I'm there for her. Yeah, and certainly when she, as she's getting older, there are... Well, the world has changed Mm -hmm. and there's so many great examples. Just, you know, this show alone, you know, bringing women and and shining a light on them that are doing things that perhaps they didn't feel they could Mm -hmm. um, years ago. I want to talk a little bit about some of the numbers around um, the industry. There's only 19 percent of all surgeons in the U.S. are women, Mm -hmm. 19 percent and 22 percent of full time faculty in the field of surgery are women. Um, and just one percent are chairs. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? And do you see it slowly 
changing. Mm-hmm. So I think those numbers were from about 2017, 2018. And I, I think it's definitely changing. I mean, just to think about my general surgery residency, half of us were women. And I pride myself on the fact that I'm still very close with those those women. And we have something called a Lady Surgeons Book Club where we all meet. You know, sometimes we bring the kids. But it's I, it's definitely changing. And I think surgery has just been a very male-dominated field. And it'll just take time, perhaps. Right. Yep. Um, we are going into our last break. Uh, stay with us for Mary Manzo of Pathways for our Tech Watch. And we'll be right back. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Joe Krause of Krause's Coats, inviting you to donate a slightly worn coat or jacket and help veterans in need stay warm this winter go to krause's coats on facebook and join martin law the law firm for workers to help those who served have a happy holiday now the women to watch tech watch hi i'm mary manso from pathways consulting group it's that gift giving time of year so i thought i'd share a couple of great stem toy sites that have some awesome technology gift ideas for young children For over 17 years, Fat Brain Toys, a family-owned and operated business, has been carefully choosing the best toys from around the world in addition to acquiring the single largest selection of American-made toys found anywhere. They have an incredible selection of STEM toys. They stock nearly every product they sell from their own centrally located warehouse. Most items are in stock and can ship within 24 hours, if not faster. They ship orders worldwide. Another fantastic toy company is Adaptive Tech Solutions. They carry tech gifts for children with special needs. Adaptive Tech Solutions is a therapist-owned and operated company. They handpick all the products they carry and have the expertise to correctly advise how to use adaptive products. Unlike some of their competitors, nearly all of their products are adapted to be used both with or without a switch. This means you get more for your money since the toys can be used with individuals with disabilities as well as individuals without. Everything they do is to enrich the lives of people with disabilities by creating affordable independence and learning through adapted toys, switches, and specialty devices. And their products come with their 30-day happiness guarantee. My last suggestion for tonight is a company called Anki, the makers of Vector. Vector's more than a home robot. He's your buddy, your companion. Most of all, he'll make you laugh. He's curious, independent, and powered by some awesome tech and AI. He can read the room, express the weather, or take the perfect snapshot. You can find Vector on Amazon. If you're looking for more gift ideas, reach out to me at mary at pathwayscg.com. Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Welcome back. I'm having a conversation with Dr. Stacy Don Francesco. And um, I wanted to ask you about pay equity in, in the medical industry and see if you have any sense of whether that is changing as well and how quickly it will 
you know, we'll get to a place where women do feel that they're um, receiving what they deserve. I think I think it still exists. That's for sure. And, you know, you hear all the time, you know, on TV and and you read things that there still is, you know, inequality with regards to pay. Uh, I think I'm hoping that is changing, you know, with more women in the medical field and especially in surgery. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that's that's going to change, but it, it's going to take some time. You know, I think that, again, our our medical system is so male dominated and it's taken a very long time to kind of, for females to kind of break through that it's going to it's kind of going to lag a little bit. Yeah. What do you I read some statistics as well around the success rate of patients who have been um, treated by females versus males. And I thought that was fascinating as well. So what do you think it is about women? And, and, and I know we read a lot about them being patient centered. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? How would you describe that to a listener? I think patient centered is really just treating the patient as a whole. You know, there's a lot going on in these patients life lives, especially my breast cancer patients. Uh, You know, there's, and, and that goes for all of all patients, really. But it's not just they're not just there to have to seek your medical advice and because they need surgery, but they have other things going on. And I think taking the time and a consultation to speak with them and kind of understand where they're coming from, you know, some sometimes they have family issues, you know, it's it's really treating them as a whole and understanding Understanding the patient, not just their medical condition. Yeah, I guess it's the ability to connect on a on an emotional level. Right. And, you know, this may sound stereotypical and we're generalizing that, you know, women can connect that way mm-hmm. and sense they're intuitive. Right. right. And and tap into those emotions. And men perhaps are just they're going to do the procedure and they're mm-hmm. going to move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Can it be that? Simple. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously that's very being then is that's generalizing big time because I obviously have mentors that are men that I learned from a lot of what the way I take care of patients. I learned a lot of my, uh, you know, my talents from. Mm -hmm. So but I do think that women, you know, have a nurturing capability being moms or maybe not even being mothers. I just think it's an innate thing that I try to apply in my patient practice as well. Um, you know what? Can you share a story of a patient perhaps that you um, think of that that was um, just a, a, an experience that you had that you'll always remember? Uh, there, there's so I mean, many. Yeah. I, I think that Again, I think one of my passions is breast reconstruction, uh, and a lot of that comes from my mentor, Dr. Bill Scarlett. But I think that all all of my breast reconstruction patients that I, especially when there's complications, you know, every surgeon has has a complication rate. Um, and I think when there's a small complication, just holding their hand through the whole, you know, the whole process really helps them, you know, to heal. Yeah. And it's not just what you're doing to treat them, but just your whole relationship. So you know, I've bonded with a lot of my patients. Yeah. I, and I guess I shouldn't have asked a patient. Yeah. You're not going to give a name. There's something right. called HIPAA violation. <laughs> <laughs> I meant more in general, yeah, you know, experience. Exactly. But yeah, um, I think that's so great that you're doing that because one of the greatest complaints we all have as lay people outside of, of the medical field is how it's changed 
because it's so big and complicated now, right? So mm-hmm. there's that lack of personal right. connection, which, you know, bedside manner mm-hmm. is affected because, you know, doctors are so incredibly busy with things addition in addition to what they're doing. Right. Yeah. So if you could wave a magic wand and there was one thing um, that you could change in the healthcare industry, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. What do you think is the most important and critical? I think a lot of what we do on a daily basis, unfortunately, comes from the insurance companies. And obviously, insurance is very good. You know, patients have insurance and they're able to have these medical procedures and they're covered. But sometimes battling with the insurance companies, you know, from a clinical standpoint, and they're kind of sitting there evaluating it from a, you know, paper standpoint, it's really difficult to do you know, what we want to do and what we have to do for the patients. Mm -hmm. And I know the patients struggle, too, with their insurance companies oftentimes. Um, So, I mean, do I think that socialized medicine is a good idea? No, not necessarily. But and it works for certain countries. But I think that, you know, alleviating that that barrier that we have with insurance companies would, would help us take care of patients, you know, a lot more efficiently sometimes. Yeah, I think it's going to take a lot of conversations yeah, and absolutely. great minds coming and together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> Aside from worrying about your patients, you know, as just a, a woman and a mom and a wife, what's something that, you know, worries you? I think there's a lot going on in the world right now. You know, not necessarily, obviously, I, you know, I think about my work a lot, but there's a lot going on in the world, some negative stuff. And I, I worry about my daughter, you know, and her becoming a successful female. And I think she obviously has a great chance of being very successful. But, you know, the the hatred that is out there and, you know, it scares me sometimes. It really, you know, I think about it and I think of a way that I can protect her, you know, for the rest right, of her life. Right. And, of course, social media, technology, the Internet is it's something so hard. It's it's. It's an obvious difference that we didn't have when we were growing up. So it's hard to keep information Mm -hmm. away from our kids. Right. Now she's two. Is she using, you know, right? She's already on some gadget. Yep. We're we're watching, you know, Frozen every night. (laughs) Well, that's okay. That's inspirational. Kids up on the phone. (laughs) But yes, she's already very technologically savvy. (laughs) Right. So I always feel you you have to hide under a rock if you don't want to uh, be exposed. Right to negativity. But I think there's ways to encourage our kids to go to the right places to seek Mm -hmm. their information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Any future aspirations outside of your surgical practice? Um, You know, I right now I'm so focused on my practice and becoming board certified, hopefully next year. Okay. Um, But I, I definitely would like to get involved more um, and speaking engagements and, uh, you know, talking about different struggles as a female in, in medicine and in surgery. And I think that, you know, I've had a lot of um, connections with female plastic surgeons. I'm attending an enrichment retreat in February of all female plastic surgeons. Oh, so I think 
you know, getting involved in those kind of things is, is something that I'm very interested in. I think it would be really beneficial for someone like you who's achieved a certain level of success as a surgeon to be transparent and open mm-hmm. in your um, speaking and sharing with other women and young girls mm-hmm. that even at that level, you're still someone who, you know, gets scared and, and has to work on confidence. And I think that's really a really important thing you could do. Mm-hmm. We're at the end of the show. I can't it, believe it. <laughs> I know, I know. It goes way too fast. But thanks so much for coming Thank in. I really so appreciate it. Thank you so much for having it. me. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it, too. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much to our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.